Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. My name is Sam Matler, and if this is the first episode you're listening to, it's great to have you here. This is a show where I interview successful producers, engineers, artists, industry experts, you name it. If they're involved in the music industry or music production in some way and they're interesting, I have them on. This interview is with a guy called Tazoki. Really cool guy, and we talk about a number of things. We talk about his background, his story, the fact that seven years ago, he was sending emails to club owners, hoping that they'd book him. No responses, and now he's where he is. We talk about the importance of never resting on your laurels, but continuing to work even when you have successes, and that you just can't relax in this industry. Um, You have to keep working hard. You constantly have to prove yourself. We talk about that and how he came to that point where he had to recognize that we talk about the touring life and what that looks like from the inside Uh, we talk a little bit about sound design and perfectionism perfectionism is a huge struggle for producers Uh, a lot of edm pro listeners a lot of you guys struggle with this Um, so we kind of cover that and uh tozoki himself has struggled with that perfectionism so he talks about how he's dealt with that which is really helpful so that's it from me i hope you enjoy the interview If you do, uh, head on over to edmprod.com forward slash iTunes and leave a rating and review for the podcast. That is edmprod.com forward slash iTunes. Without further ado, here is Tazoki. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Brad, better known as Tosoki. Brad, how's it going? Good. Hi. Woo. (laughs) (laughs) Now, seven years ago, you were sending out emails every day uh, to club owners hoping that they'd book you. And today, you're playing shows all around the world. You've had releases on uh, labels like Spinning, Monster Cat, Firepower, many others. What I want to know, first of all, is how you got to the point where you were sending out these emails every day. Like, what made you want to do that? And how did you get into music in the first place? You've uh you've done your research, geez. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. But yeah, um, so it started off. Um, I've always enjoyed doing music. I was a guitar player in like a band. I did drums. I did vocals for a while before when I was a lot younger. And and then I uh, I listened to this band, Enda Shikari. Um, 
Oh, yep. And they did like all the kind of synth stuff. I think they used like an Electribe in like all of their songs. So that just kind of fascinated me. And then kind of from there, I went and watched like Dead Mice live videos and that kind of shit. And yeah, that just kind of progressed up until the point of me trying to imitate what like a DJ set would be. And yeah, I just like aimlessly emailed clubs. I had no idea how <laughs> anything worked, how how the booking scene worked or booking yeah. agents or anything. I just sent out like cold call emails, just like, please book me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get any responses? None at all. Absolutely none. Uh, wow. Yeah. Not even like a no, not interested. No, no one uh, no one came back to me and what's funny is one of the venues I ended up playing um <laughs> a couple of years back and I told them the story and they they didn't remember, but I just <laughs> laughed in their face kind of thing because yeah, they ended up booking me. <laughs> what I'm curious, what gave you like the drive to do that though? Because a lot of producers are just scared to even attempt like just email anyone because of they're scared of what they might get back. Yeah, I was I was kind of raised in a in an independent sense of me handling my own things. I was always taught to kind of go at it as just whatever my intention is, and then if there's anything that I did wrong, just apologize after kind of thing. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't too concerned about people's responses because I I read a load of uh, forum posts that were like you know you've got nothing to lose kind of thing. So sure. I was that's the kind of mentality that I had going into that. Um, and I was young as well. I was very naive and didn't understand how anything worked. So that's how that kind of panned out. So from that point onwards, um, uh-huh. you're sending these emails out. No one's responding. What do you do from that point? I mean, is it is it a day you sit down and you're like, you know, this isn't working. Um, maybe I need another strategy. What happened? I don't think I let it knock my confidence too much. I just... Mm. After I sent these emails, I just kind of forgot about them um, and hope for the best. I mean, like, as always, you, you should, like, expect the worst and hope for the best, right? So I, yeah. I went into this with, like, an attitude which was not expecting anything back. And I, I didn't actually get my hopes up at all. And that was right. that, that helped me a lot in, in the sense of not being rejected, but just, like, being ignored. I feel like that was fundamental because if I emailed any of these clubs expecting to play there, I would have, it would have shot me to pieces, you know, it would have completely mm-hmm. knocked me back. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I kind of forgot about it. Um, and honestly, I forgot which clubs I emailed cause I just bombarded so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I kind of got around that is I, I honestly just forgot about it. I think that's key though. Like I know when, <laughs> when I was starting that, like, Cause I was very influenced by like the older dubstep screen being it, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. And I made like a little EP I've been producing for like a year mm-hmm. and I just sent it out to all these labels, but I just assumed that they would hear it and go like, yeah, this is it. You know, we're going to sign this. Of course yeah, it was no. horrible, <laughs> you know, but yeah. I didn't have that mindset that you had of like, oh, this probably won't work. It was like, oh, this probably will work. And of course it didn't. Yeah. Um, that was tough. A lot yeah. of people are like that. Yeah, I still I still kind of try and hold those those morals even up until today like my that's the reason uh I work so well with my management is because they don't say anything until it's 100% set in stone like I've probably had tons right. of offers and tons of tons of things that I don't even know about but you know it's not mentioned until it's confirmed because there's no point in 
mm. being hyped up over something that probably won't happen. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. So anyway, you're, you've sent out these emails, you forget about them. At what point after that do you have your first like moment, maybe it's a success or like a booking or a release where you're like, yeah, this is like, this is moving forward. I can't specifically pinpoint a time. Um, I remember my first inverted commas show. Um, <laughs> it was, it, I, I don't mean to like shit talk, but it was supporting this band. Um, and they pretty much had like a fit over what I was kind of playing and stuff. Really? Um, yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was in a city in Scotland and uh, it was very competitive because it was a small place. So there was obviously a lot of competition. Um, and I mean, personally, I think I, I killed it. Like I, I hands down killed it. I have no doubt in saying that. And that's, I think that kind of threatened them a bit. Um, but that was kind of like the first show that I did. Um, and in terms of first like piece of success, I'm not really too sure. I mean, the same with not getting my hopes up. I kind of just let things happen and forget about it because, you know, I don't want to dwell on stuff too much. Right. Right. For sure. Um, you said in an interview with UKF a couple of years ago, I forgot when this interview was, I think it might've been last year or the year before. Yeah. You said a couple of years ago, I started working with, uh, Borgor and made the mistake of assuming I'd made it and could relax a bit. I quickly realized you can't ever do that in this industry. You constantly have to prove yourself. What do you mean by that exactly? I think this is really important and I want people to hear this. So, um, Asaf reached out to me, Borgor reached out to me. Um, obviously as any, uh, how old was I? I think I was like 19, 20 years old. I mean, I'm, I'm 23 now. Right. So it was about three, four years ago. Um, and there's, there's any time that, uh, you're that kind of age and, you know, you're not that well versed in the, in the grand scheme of the industry. It's you, you get like hyped over it, right? Like this huge artist you've always like listened to reaches out to you and wants to work with you. And we had a, a few studio sessions like together in London. Um, what was it one? I can't remember, but we, we had sessions in London and we put out a remix together and it was just like. I don't know how to describe it. I, I didn't pin my whole career or like everything on him, but it was, mm. I just kind of got used to like my Twitter blowing up because he tweeted to me a lot. Oh, right. and he tweeted about the things that we were doing a lot. And I, I got used to that and I was like, Oh, I'm like, like I've not made it. I mean, maybe that was the wrong term in the UKF interview, but i I feel like I'd like accomplished a lot. Like, and it was, yeah. It was only until after about two months after the remix came out. I mean, Asaf is a super busy guy, as with everyone in the industry. And yeah, yeah. you lose touch kind of thing. Like you don't really speak as much as you did when you were working on something. And I saw that I had gotten complacent and too comfortable and realized that it's, uh, it was just like, uh, it was definitely a punch in the face. Like I, it was a sudden realization of, whatever happens, I just need to keep going and, you know, keep reaching these goals and, um, passing expectations because that two, three months after the, the collaboration with the staff came out, there was like nothing and I didn't do anything. I didn't do any shows. I didn't make any music. I just kind of sat there and wrote it out. And then obviously once that wave was over, I was getting no mentions. I was getting no interaction and I was getting no new followers and 
a lot of people say that doesn't matter, but when you're at that stage of your career, um, pro- proving yourself, it's it does matter, and that's the one thing I, I admit that I fucked up on is just being complacent right. with that. So that's a bit more detail on that. Why, like, why do you think that happened? Because I I've had the same thing happen to me, not so much with music, but like with EDM product, the business. If it's successful or we have a big success, it's like I kind of rest on that a little bit, yeah. and I have in the past, and it's like. It sucks. And then you realize a few months, it's like, oh man, I, I'm i totally just not working hard enough. Yeah, wasted a lot of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm not understand, like, I'm not sure why it happens specifically, like, in terms of like a psychological sense, but I feel like right. you're, you're so used to this sudden influx of success that everything else seems irrelevant. And anything that doesn't match up to that certain level of success, you you kind of disregard and you think, oh, this isn't worth it. Like, doesn't excite you as much either. Exactly. It's it's kind of like chasing adrenaline. You know, like nothing mm-hmm. nothing compares to it, so you don't bother with it. Whereas in reality, you just need to even forget that it happened. So everything gives you that kind of adrenaline rush. But yeah, it's it's definitely a weird mindset that I see a ton of people fall into. It is, man. Uh, how did you like? Like, was it hard to work your way back out of that, or did you just switch? You were just like, it was extremely hard. I remember countless days and just sitting there, being like, "What the fuck am I gonna do to like make it better than what I've already had?" Kind of thing. Right, um, right. And these these days, I was, funnily enough, I was actually speaking to uh, Lee Mustai. He's a good friend of mine. Um, we just like toured mm. together for a little while and. And he was making the point of it's you should embrace the fact that a career ebb and flows, you know, like because it's always it's right. always fun to build it back up after it comes down a little bit and the hype dies out a little bit. That's that's always a great challenge to build it back up. So I know that now, but back then it was it was just it was a hard time to even compete with that sudden like two month burst of success that I had. Right. I want you to talk about that a little more because I, I know a lot of people, especially newer producers, they have this ideal of like the artist career being all go. I mean, it is all go, but like all good all the time, you know, success after success, but that is just not the way it works in reality, evidently. Why is that a good thing though? Like why is it, why should you be grateful for the fact that it ebbs and flows? I feel like the most important point is well, as artists, we're we're always constantly changing. I mean, every artist that I know and respect is constantly changing their sound, constantly having new um, inspirations and new goals in their art, whether it be music or graphic design or video editing or kind of anything like that. And I feel like if you have that chance to kind of slip back into the shadows for a little bit, you can come back stronger than ever each and every time with what you've been working towards like there's a few dubstep artists i'm not going to name names who rinse and repeat the same kind of um (laughs) the same kind of theory and the same kind of sound which is great for the time being but it doesn't offer any longevity in terms of their career or their fan base and i feel like if you kind of embrace that dark period of where you're not in the limelight as much you can master whatever that new sound is and when you come back people are going to be like holy shit this is this is great it isn't the same 
old, you know, whatever artist name I remember, but it's it bangs and like he's mastered yeah. it or she's mastered it, you know. It makes a ton of sense, and I think it's a better mindset than. Well, what would you say to the person listening to this who has, say, a, a small to medium sized following, but they do have a following, like a pretty committed fan base. They haven't made it by any means, but they're scared that if they start making different styles of music, that that fan base is going to disappear or they're not going to get anywhere or it's going to inhibit them. What would you say to that person? I would just say get over it. I mean, mm. it's hard It's hard enough to get over it. And the way I've been raised anyway with like business and personal is just kind of tough love. Like I'm, and I say that straight because the sooner you get over it, the better. And I see so many people making the mistake of who have like five to 10,000 followers making side projects for different, for different styles and different genres. And you're pigeonholing your yourself into a certain sound and a certain style. And I feel like if you just put everything out under one name, first of all, and most importantly, it shows diversity in your skill and your craft. And secondly, mm-hmm. it doesn't just make it seem like you're money grabbing because ultimately if if one say you have like a dubstep project and then a house project and then a future based project which i've seen like multiple <laughs> times say if the house wow. one blows up you're gonna stick to doing house music because that's more lucrative and that's getting you yeah. more exposure and more money and it's just like i mean like all the boats rise with the water so if you put tons of different genres under one name that name blows up, then all of those different styles are going to blow up with you, right? So I feel yeah, like yeah. people should just go over the fact that of like the whole mindset of putting different music out under your name, because some of the most successful people have gotten even more success just from experimenting and putting out random shit under their main alias, you know? Look at Skrillex. I think he's the best example. Like he made all kinds of stuff. And no one cared that he, I mean, yeah, there are some people, I suppose, but like, they're not important. Yeah. There's, there's so many people who, who just kill it with their main sound. And then they're like, okay, well, I'm just going to take this a different route. I'm trying to think of like a certain person who's just like flipped. There's like, there was like a rhythm dude who started doing like hip hop beats and that was so sick. And he, he just didn't, I can't remember his name, but it was someone like kind of on the smaller fan base scale, but he just killed it. And like his hip hop beats blew up more than like his rhythm stuff. It was crazy. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that's great advice. Um, did you have any misconceptions about the industry before you started to get into it more? Uh, I mean, I know there's, there's kind of a, some people look at it with rose-tinted glasses. The people who are in it know that it's not as straightforward or nice as it may seem from the outside i feel like a lot of people have misconceptions about the touring aspect i mean industry Mm. is just it's just a business um the same with any business there's going to be hierarchy and there's going to be certain people who kind of work their way up on like Mm. ethical routes you've just got to like accept that but touring i was speaking to someone the other day about it and there are like a VJ, like a lighting guy, a visual guy, or whatever. Um, mm. I think the main point is you've just got to understand that drinking and partying, although that's what the fans are doing and, and the people in the crowd are doing. If you're a DJ or a tour manager or anything like that, drinking and partying, at least from what I've seen, just 
ends to an early career. And some of the most successful people that I know personally as friends don't drink, don't do any drugs, right. are completely straight cut. Majority of them have yeah. kids and wives. Like there's no wow. like debauchery or anything going on. Like two main examples is like Jake, like kill the noise. He's mm. he's like an incredible human. And doing shows with him, like he doesn't get like completely fucked up. He doesn't do anything like this. He's very responsible and I mean, Jake has been around for years. His career has yeah, yeah. has been around for nearly a decade. So like, just to kill the noise product. So I feel like a lot of people look at it like, oh, I'm going to be a DJ. I'm going to, I'm going to party. I'm going to hook up with all these girls. And it's just like, when you get to a certain level, it's just not how it is. And that's, that's honestly how you like lose respect within the industry super fast. I feel like, but yeah, that's, that's the main thing that I see. It's so interesting. I have heard of uh the people who who was it? i think the hard style guy talked about it on his vlog or something what's his name headhunters i think yeah. it was him and laidback luke talked about it as well they were just like yeah th- like i've seen this just destroy people you know yeah because like, if you're playing four shows a week and you're drinking each night like that's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you're not fun. sleeping enough i mean i mean it'll kill you and it, ha- it has killed multiple mm. people I mean, look at Avicii, for example, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just, it's really sad. Yeah, it's scary. Um, what have, what's been the hardest thing for you, like starting to play shows around the place? Like what's been the, the challenge? Um, being away from my friends and family. Um, mm. I used to, like I, like I said earlier, I've always been independent. Um, but only recently I've become kind of a bit of like a homebody. Um, I've kind of embraced my introvertedness and just prefer being at home with a close circle of friends, just working on music. Um, so that kind of aspect of touring, I mean, I, I've been, I've been like full-time traveling for like four or five years now. So that, that kind of aspect of it is just not dying out to me, but it's kind of lost its, it's like fun of it being away is is the hardest part i i don't have an issue with flying i don't have an issue with staying in hotels i don't have an issue with any of that kind of thing um but yeah being away from home is definitely the biggest hurdle that i face these days right all right Uh, i want to switch gears now and talk production a lot of people have asked me to ask you about how you approach sound design how did you learn sound design was it just playing around experimenting or did you have a more systematic approach yeah, I it started off with, off with a lot of uh, sampling mm. and kind of manipulation of samples, and then I got into the more kind of technical aspects, just from like YouTube tutorial videos and and things like that. But it was definitely a a natural progression from just sampling sounds and then understanding the different layers of sounds and then going into how those layers conflict and work well together you know so it's just it was it was i think it was the most natural progression that you can have with with sound design yeah it makes sense and uh you use serum now for most of your stuff yeah serum um i'm resampling a lot as well and using a lot of the ableton stock plug plugins as well um they're super powerful and kind of underestimated in terms of what people review on the internet yeah, yeah, yeah. So what would that look like as an example? You make a sound in Serum, resample it, 
and then I do uh I do like pretty much nothing in serum on the effects right. side of things. I kind of just keep that for post. So I would I'd make a sign in serum, kind of like a basic sign, and then bounce it to audio and then go in and just like affect the shit out of it afterwards and kind of just destroy it and then build it from the ground up again. So what, in terms of Ableton, like what are some of the things you'd use? Because I, I agree with you. Like I feel like Ableton's native effects are very underrated. I use Corpus a lot lately. That's that's a great tool. Um, I feel like no one understands how to use Corpus. Yeah. It's, <laughs> like, no one knows what it does. It's like <laughs> the settings that I use on it is like a, I mean, I can't describe it over the, over the voice yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. but um, it gives it kind of like a phaser type sound and then you couple that with like a frequency shifter um and automate mm. the the fine tune on the frequency shifter and that gives it like a kind of like valley valley sound and then yeah so corpus frequency shifter i use erosion like the distortion plugin as well you've also got serum presets available for sale right yeah where can people find those i believe they're on splice as well as uh origin sounds website there are it's actually okay. my old old management um and he started a he started like a sound design sample pack type company thing so he's just doing that now. right right yeah well, i'll link that up in the show notes awesome. um now it seems to me you might disagree with this but it seems to me like you're quite productive uh your output is very high what's your pattern or what's your day-to-day look like how do you stay focused and creative consistently um so currently I'm, I can like shit out, <laughs> this sounds so bad saying this, but I can pretty much just shit out dubstep tracks in like two hours. So really? Late, yeah. So lately, like that kind of thing, <laughs> that kind of thing hasn't been fun for me. Um, being mm. in Los Angeles and kind of using all the resources here, I've been doing a lot more pop music and um, kind of backend production for a lot of vocalists and, and bands and stuff. So I'll have like I do the I do the ghost production thing as well, but that's I can't talk about that. So like yeah, no, um <laughs> yeah. So I'll I'll wake up and then I have a I have an assistant who helps me with everything. He's a he's a dear friend as well. Um and we'll hang out pretty much all day and just grind through all these different things that we need to do, whether it be mixing down someone else's track or producing a song for a a pop singer or just like fucking around with like a dubstep song mm-hmm. but yeah my output is pretty high i try to stay as focused as i can but sometimes i end up like spending six hours watching youtube videos <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's, we all do that, <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty much it <laughs> are you like how do you stay focused do you uh, just uh, eliminate distractions do you have a certain like i know some people like to work an hour on have a break or like three hours a day, just really, really focused. Do you have any sort of schedule like that? Or is it just, I don't know. Work hard? I, f- I feel like I've been doing this long enough where I can just switch on and off without any of this mm. premeditated routine stuff. I know a lot of people who do the whole set a timer on their phone and work and then have a break, but yeah, I don't know. I, I constantly work. I mean, other than having like two days off, I haven't really had a real holiday in years. So I just, wow. I'm in this mindset of just work, 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 work. And that's, that's all I really want to do. Um, 
But yeah, I, do you ever get close to burning up? Yeah, all the time, especially with touring. Really? Um, mm. I'll I'll take like two days out and just sleep for the entire two days, and then just get back on it. Yeah. Um, what are the like? What are the warning signs for you? For me, it's when when I'm getting agitated in my personal life. Um, right. I yeah, I, yeah. I used to suffer with a lot of kind of stress induced anger. I guess. Um. Nothing bad happened. I never, I never did anything untoward to anyone. But just within myself, I, I found myself getting angry at like the dumbest shit. And then ever since I, I managed that, it was, it kind of all changed from there. But the main warning sign that I see is when I get frustrated with the smallest, dumbest things. You know, like it happens to the best of us. But at that point, I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm definitely overworking myself, and I need to just even just take a couple of hours out. Mm. yeah it's, it's dangerous it can get it can get the best of you you know especially if you're if you're not well versed in that kind of situation or you don't understand it um but yeah definitely do you face like writer's block or creative block i haven't in a while um i think because i'm working on so many different things all at once and there's so many other things to do it doesn't really come up as much i feel like it comes up a lot when you're trying to finish one thing and that one thing is all you're working on and there's all this pressure on this one specific song say for a deadline or that's when it kind of hits but if you spread your creativity and in different ways and on your off time just listen to music and that you wouldn't normally listen to i feel like you you can get inspiration from kind of anywhere but a lot of the a lot of the kind of bigger people that i've seen talk about writer's block is when they're they have like a remix due or like they have a song due for a label and it's like counting down the hours till it's done, you know. One thing that I think is detrimental to productivity as an artist is perfectionism, which a lot of people struggle with. Mm-hmm. Is that something you've dealt with personally? And if so, how did you overcome that or how did you think about it? Well, there's a YouTuber I watch called Casey Neistat. Um, he's, he's great. Yeah, he's, he's fucking awesome. But he he did a video once and he said a line that like resonates with me more than anything ever, I think. And it was, don't let good enough, or wait, don't let perfection ruin good enough. And ever since I heard that, I was like, damn, well, like, because <laughs> you're surrounded by all these producers and most of the time your entire friend group is a producer based kind of personality and those kind of things. And you don't realize that on the other side, the vast majority of people listening to your music are just fans and they couldn't really give a fuck if something was EQ'd wrong. So I feel like yeah. I feel like there's there's like perfection and then there's just being good enough to the point of you being happy with your craft and not letting that be detrimental to it. Because um, it's, it's a dangerous game to play, but at the same time, if you can recognize when something is good to go then you you just don't need to worry about it anymore and Mm. i'm a perfectionist myself like i'll i'll polish a sign for like hours but then i'll just be like why am i doing this like it's yeah so i think recognizing it from yourself and forgetting about all the other competition is is the best way to go yeah i think that's such good advice and crucial advice actually i mean like i've talked to people who've set new producers have set like months on just one song and it's like you're a new producer, like just finish it and move on because this is a lot, like this is time that you're not 
able to put towards something else and continue learning and like growing. Yeah. I mean, like the, <laughs> the main example that I have of that is one of my best friends, Ryan, you've had him on the show, all of us and oh, all of us. Yeah. 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 We're, he's like one of my best friends in the entire world. And a, a year or so ago, he would, I would, cause we lived apart. Like it was like a long distance friendship, like it is now. And, uh, mm. I'd, I'd only see him like every three or four months. And every time I saw him like over a span of the year, he would still be working on the same song. <laughs> <laughs> and it was always just like, Ryan, just hurry the fuck up and like finish this. Like it sounds fine. <laughs> and he is like the biggest perfectionist I know in this entire like wow. game. Um, but recently I feel like he's, he's gotten used to that. And I get like a new song from him like every three weeks. And it's just like, I'm so happy that he's out of that habit of, of just fine tuning everything that no one really cares about, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome when you make that mental shift. It's so important. Yeah. Um, all right, I've got a few more questions then we'll wrap this up. Who are some of your influences and why? I really, really, really like um, Muramasa. I don't know why. Mm. Um, I just remember hearing his music when I was going through like a bit of a tough time and it was, uh, it was very upbeat and kind of badly produced in a good way. Like things aren't quantized and the mix down isn't perfect. Yeah, it's rough and it's very like much sample based. Yes. And I guess from where I started that resonated with me a lot because I used to do that kind of shit and it kind of brought it all back to me. And also the vocalists he gets like on his songs are incredible. So his kind of creativity and being able to pick out random sounds from things that you'd never even think to use. I feel like that's my biggest inspiration yeah i'm not really too sure of many others like i i hear so much music and i get shown so much music that it unless something is exceptional it kind of merges into one and i'll forget um i don't know if that's just me being a dick or just my adhd but yeah (laughs) i have no idea (laughs) makes sense but do you listen to much uh like dubstep like the kind of stuff you make often or not i never i never listen to it in fact, I why I don't know it. I just <laughs> it's it's such a weird mindset. Like I, if someone was to yeah. play it, I kind of cringe at it almost. And that's so, dude. It's so weird. Like any of my any of my friends play it like out of a context of either us working on it or playing a show or getting ready for a show. I just yeah, I just don't enjoy it. And yeah, I think maybe another reason for that is because I've seen that kind of music get played so much in a live environment that when it isn't in a live environment, I, it feels lackluster and it's like, what the fuck are we listening to? You know, but at a show it's, it's incredible with like the production and everyone dancing and all that kind of shit. So yeah, I can get that. I, I don't really understand listening to it. Like I can't listen to that kind of stuff. Just chilling. Yeah. I'm going to get a lot of shit for saying this, but it's not musical enough. Yeah, no, I completely you know agree. I mean? like it's not a song. But in a in a club setting or like a live setting, absolutely. Yeah, that's I that's why I, pr- I appreciate um, dubstep artists who have vocalists on their tracks, like yes. um, and turn it into a, like a a song. Like you can still have like the heavy shit at some point, but it's not just a track mm-hmm. anymore. It's it's like a song. It's it's a record, and people are gonna give me shit for that as well. Um, but everyone knows it's true, and. Everyone's just hiding behind the rail life and all that kind of shit. But I do not listen to dubstep ever on airplanes or laying in bed or anything. Like I just can't do it. 
Yeah. Oh man, I remember. This reminds me of like the days at school, like high school, mm-hmm. and people. It was when Skrillex was big, you know, um, or like it just started. Mm-hmm. I think Scary Monsters and Life Sprites had come out, and everyone was walking around on their phones. Yeah, like this was kind of before smartphones really came in, and and just playing this. The like, Motorola, like, guys, come on, yeah, yeah. the like, Motorola, on. fucking, oh, do Bluetooth <laughs> that song to me. Yeah, those are the days. That was the same. That was the same in the in the UK. But people would like play. There was this guy called Scooter. It was like happy hardcore, like UK cheesy oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> Fuck that. Uh, um, what's coming up for you in the next zero to twelve months that you can talk about? Um, a lot more shows. I'm I'm looking forward to it. To the shows. Not looking forward to the travel shit. What else? I have like so many releases. Like I I sat down with management the other day and just discussed like release plans and there's there's remixes and there's huge collaborations and wow. yeah, it's pretty much like the rest of the year is just stacked with like releases on the majority of electronic music labels and the majority of like hmm. these bigger artists and like EDM, I guess. So I'm excited. Um All right. but like I said earlier, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna think about it. You know, I'm just gonna keep doing shit and let it yeah, run its yeah. course. But other than that, just music and shows. Um, still being a dick on Twitter, like that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, love it, love it. Um, one more question: You're walking down the street in LA, a UFO comes along, uh-huh. and they're gonna abduct you, but they say you can leave, or they hand you a piece of paper and a pen, and they say you can write three pieces of advice to leave behind either for producers or like just for the world. Most people don't like answering this question because it's a lot of responsibility. Uh-huh. Um, what is on that piece of paper? Three pieces of advice. Okay. First piece of advice is always respect your parents, especially mm. from my point of view. My mom raised me as a father as well because I didn't have a dad when I was growing up. So right. if you have a good relationship with your parents, just make sure that you like call them every day or you know sustain that kind of shit because that's the most important thing um second stop using the riot 10 rail breaker vocal sample in your dj sets because <laughs> that shit gets boring and <laughs> and the third one is stop stealing songs and labeling them as your own and then selling them because it's a pain in the fucking ass to get. Wait, this still happens? Yeah, dude. So many people do it. And we have to reach out to Beatport and iTunes and prove that it's our music. And yeah, that shit sucks. Man. So if you're a new producer and you think you can bypass actually being a producer by stealing my fucking songs, don't do it because it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. I can't believe that. There you go. Oh, man. Hey, Brad, thanks heaps for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Finally, where can people find you online? Slash Tizoki, T-I-S-O-K-I, everywhere. I got that handle early on. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs>